Welcome to the Strange Brew Podcast. My name's Jason Barnard. That was Russ Ballard and New York Groove, an updated and new version from his latest album, It's Good To Be Here. Welcome, Russ. Hiya, Jason. Good to be here. Fantastic. (laughs) 
And uh, before we uh, talk about New York Groove, I know your album's already out and been really well received, but there's a, a new package coming out you've been working on with BMG that includes vinyl, CD and book. If that's the case, do you want to tell us about that? Because it sounds brilliant. Yeah, well, I started to write a biography, an autobiography, actually, actually quite a long time ago, but I never really finished it. The first half I was quite happy, but the second half of the last sort of 40 pages, I thought, oh, this could be, I rushed it, you know, basically. But uh, BMG, the record company and the publisher, I sent it to them and they had a look at it. They said, this is really good. Why don't we use the musical parts, like the the scenes from your musical life and put it out as a book? to go go with the album and sell it as a package of vinyl a cd and the book to go together i thought that sounded a good idea so uh yeah it's now finished i, I signed 300 books so uh, last week yeah so that should be uh, in people's hands the people that have ordered it uh next week fantastic and i assume it, it contains some of your memories yeah. of yeah exactly it's called um scenes from a life in music actually it's called but it's a hardback, you know, it's a hardback, but it's, it's small. It's it's yeah, smaller yeah. than I thought it was going to be, actually. But uh, it doesn't need, it's 60, 70 pages, so it's not that big. But it's it's only the scenes from my musical part, you know, the things that meant a lot to me. Mm. Yeah. And one of the great things about your new album is it's got a, a real mix of material from your career and you've released uh, your own versions of some of the songs that you you wrote and, and were recorded by other artists including the first track here new york groove that was made popular by ace freely of, of kiss but actually um i think you wrote for a band called hello and i think that was a, a hit as well yeah they got to number seven here funnily enough they both got to number seven hello's version got to number seven here in the uk and in germany it was very big aces got to number seven in america hmm. yeah and he recorded that i record i recorded it with um hello 75 and ace freely recorded it as a single in 1978 three years later actually seems to have a bit of that sort of bo diddly beat to it yeah well that was the idea the idea was you know we used to do a lot of bo diddly things you know you know hmm. pretty thing won't you love me better ring and mona and things like that you know and they all had that dance, 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 that kind of feel, which is a great feel. It's a really good feel. Bo Diddley did a lot of those. Everybody calls that feel Bo Diddley because he was mm. the, I mean, Buddy Holly did it as well with Not Fade Away and then the Stones did Not Fade Away, but that was faster. Yeah, yeah. But uh, they still call it Bo Diddley. It became an anthem and, and obviously still is in, in New York. Yeah, well, I mean, it's being used all the time. I, I did it years ago, like in the 70s, but uh, it's being used even now all the time. They use it in New York for for ads, for football matches, for, for American football matches, you know, and things. And uh, it's being used all the time for something. At the moment, it's, it's used for the advertising, something called... Uh, the uh, something to do with the river that they have a huge building uh, campaign they're building yeah. they're building properties along the hudson it's called the hudson project along the hudson river and i think it's costing something like 30 billion dollars or something wow. and and they've used my they've used new york group as the uh, as the theme tune for their advertising hmm. so i mean it's amazing you know one little song which took an hour to write not even an hour, actually. It's still going strong, you know. Your story goes back to the 
late 50s and early 60s and into another sort of time post-rock and roll early beat era. And yeah. one of your first recordings were with uh, Adam Faith as part of the Roulettes. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I joined Adam Faith in 1963. Like we sort of talked about that I would be doing it in 62, if I remember. But uh, I actually started playing with him as part of the Roulettes in 63. Even the gigs we were doing was, it's like another planet. It wasn't really like this sort of life. Hmm. When you think about it, we were doing varieties and things like with the jugglers and, uh, you know, with sand dancers and uh, uh, penny whistle blowers and things like that, you know. And, and <laughs> uh, it was very strange. It's, it was like a different life. And then we're doing cabaret with Adam Faith and we're doing that kind of thing. So, yeah. I mean, the beat thing, you know, the Mersey beat thing was happening and Swing in London was happening. I was 17 and here I was doing around being an all-round entertainer which i you know i wasn't ready for that really to be honest yeah just like the shadows did with cliff richard the roulettes became their own recording band you also sung on tracks and 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 i think wrote a few like what you're gonna do yeah basically you know we're finding finding songs to record you know and uh we'd go in and record um sort of every i don't know every six months or something we'd go in there and record some stuff They'd call us in because we were contracted to EMI, and the same as Adam Faith, uh, and we were on Parlophone. Mm. And so we used to go in there, and uh, we started to write tunes. You know, I was writing tunes before, but Bob and I, Bob Henrik, who was the drummer in the band, and I were writing, started to write together. And we wrote, yeah, what you going to do? But we wrote Me Body, we wrote a few sort of B-sides and stuff. Yeah, what you're going to do was quite good. I, th- I think it was a tune. It was quite a nice little soul, soul tune. Very recently, as you know, I spoke to Bob Henry and he described how you were constantly re- either recording, doing radio sessions and, and touring, and it was just such a, a busy time for you. Yeah, we were we were always working. We were always either recording. Um, I know Bob mentioned the uh, Luxembourg show. Yeah. That we, I mean, we, we did a – I think I did two or three series for Luxembourg's and that was for uh, Ever Ready Batteries and um, they sponsored <laughs> it and we used to have to get like 60, 60 tunes basically, we had to rehearse 60 tunes because we knew we'd have, uh, I think it was uh, was it 6 or 10 or 12 it's a long time ago um, sort, of, sort of parts to it, you know so every week, Bob said it was an hour it wasn't an hour, I think it was, I think it was 15 minutes to be honest. Yeah. And we'd do, we'd find tunes like Elvis tunes, Ricky Nelson tunes, Jerry Lewis or Richard, anything, you know, Eddie Cochran, anything that took our fancy. And uh, we used to do it. And we'd do an instrumental ourselves, usually an instrumental in the middle, like Green Onions or something like that, you know, or Dwayne Eddy, something, <laughs> something like that.
bet you feel bad Baby, I'm glad Cause now the worm has turned But you know best There's nothing left So cry And what many people might not know is that you actually wrote a song in the 60s that, that got recorded by The Shadows, the, yeah. the Lost City. How did that come about? Well, I wrote that when I was 14. It was the very first thing that I ever wrote. Wow. Very far, I'd never written a tune before, but I was, you know, I was playing the guitar then. I've been playing the piano since I was eight, uh, going to piano lessons since I was eight. And uh, when I was 12, I started to play guitar. And then, um, you know, I spent all the time playing, basically playing, playing. And then I started to write. It seemed a natural thing to write, you know. I was always interested in writers. I always used to like to look at the names below the uh, the title of the songs, you know, Lieber and Stoller and Pogus and Schumann and Carol King, Jerry Goffin and those sort of people. It always interested me to see, hear the songs. And I gravitated that pretty easily, actually, writing. I could always pick out songs. And, um, and the Shadows were the big, big thing at the time. This is pre-Beatles. You know, they were happening with Apache and the Frightened City and uh, Man of Mystery and those sort of things. They had loads, FBI, loads and loads of tunes. Yeah. So I wrote this tune. I was buying all sorts, or my mum was buying things for me, buying sort of amplifiers and guitars and uh, echo chambers <laughs> and, <laughs> and uh, sort of all sorts of things. And I bought the very first, it's the first one I knew of anyway, which we now call Wawa Pedal. Uh, the very first one was a tone control. It, was, it, it sort of sent the signal from bass to to treble, bass to treble. It wasn't as successful as a wah, wah, wah sound. Right. It went, wah, wah, wah. But it, it, you know, it was enough to give it a different kind of sound. And I used that. It was called a diamond. And I used that on the session when we went into the very first time in a real studio in Denmark Street, Regent Sound. We went up there, it's Bob Henry. It was a band I was in called Buster Meekle and the Daybreakers. Bob was in it. My brother played piano in it, and Bernie Benson and uh, Buster. Buster was a singer, Buster Meekle. And uh, we did a vocal on one side, and on the other side, we put in uh, this song I'd just written. <laughs> <laughs> and it was actually called, believe it or not, I called it Atlantis. Yeah. I thought it, it worked well, you know, it was Atlantis. Well, my brother and myself knew Cliff Richard's brother-in-law because Cliff came from the same town as where I was living in Chevron. And uh, his brother-in-law had a coffee bar in Morpham Abbey, which was only like six miles down the road. And my brother and I used to go up to his, down to his, his coffee bar and uh, he had pinball machines in there. So we used to sort of, we used to waste our time in, uh, in the afternoons and talk to Paul. There's no one else in there. And Paul used to say, oh, what are you up to? He knew, you know, we were playing and stuff in a band. And uh, we said, oh, we're doing this. And just been in the studio. He said, oh, yeah, just done an instrumental. And uh, he said, oh, I'd like to hear that. So we took it up to him. 
he said, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll send this off. I sent this off to the Shadows Publishing Company. And we went, oh, yeah, that'd be great. And we sent it off and we thought, well, we're not going to hear any more. And in fact, we didn't. We didn't hear any more. And in the meantime, about a year later, they released a track by Jerry Lauden. Jerry Lauden had written an instrumental called Atlantis, and, <laughs> uh, yeah, which is very strange, but it was called Atlantis. And I thought, when I saw it in the paper advertised, or being reviewed, I thought, I wonder if that's mine, you know. And of course, heard the tune, and it wasn't, and I saw it was written by Jerry Lorden, who wrote Apache. And then I joined Adam Faith. You've got to remember, I wrote this when I was 16, joined him at, I wrote it when I was 14, joined Adam Faith at 16, on the road at 17. Then we were touring all over the place. We did a week in Manchester at Mr. Smith's in Manchester with Adam Faith. Got back home, I was living with my mum and dad, I was 18. And then mum, mum said, oh, there's a, there's a man phone. It's called Harry Waters. And he, he works for the, the Shadows Publishing Company. And uh, he wants you to phone him. And I thought, this is strange. I phoned him. And he said, Russ, uh, the Shadows have cut your song and it's on their new album. <laughs> I said, well, I didn't, you know, he said, yeah, yeah, uh, it's good. It's, it's worked out really well. And basically, you've got to change the title because, you know, we want the credits. I said, okay. I I'll think of a new title. He said, no, I want it now. He said, because they're doing, you know, they're doing the credits. And so I said, uh, okay, Lost City, because Atlantis was the Lost City. Mm. He went, yeah, that's great. That's great. He said, can we have the publishing? I said, yeah, of course. So the Shads had the publishing and uh, Carlin Music had the publishing to that. And uh, it sort of gave me the impetus to uh, keep writing, you know, and thought, oh, well, when I listened to it, it was great that Hank, actually played uh he used the diamond foot pedal on it as well which is brilliant hmm. so uh yeah it's inspiring you know and it's funny i see yeah. bruce, i see bruce welch occasionally bruce is a friend and he always says to me how's the publishing russ how's the publishing <laughs> are you still getting the publishing yeah yeah i'm getting the publishing you know it's funny yeah it's brilliant
And as we go through the 60s, you know, we go from the roulettes and I think you eventually joined uh, Unit 4 plus 2. Yeah. When we left the roulettes, basically the roulettes finished. We just sort of uh, dissolved. All very good friends still, you know, all, all good buddies. But So Bob and I were a loose end at that time, fun enough, but only for about a week. Shut into the Unit 4. They were just called Unit 4. They were a folk band, basically. They was kind of like the Kingston Trio or one of those sort of bands. They were like uh, uh, the Lettermen, those kind of close harmony bands. And they made a record called Green something, I don't know. I can't remember what it was called. But it was, it, it was on Decca, their first single. And it was really, it's a good track. But, you know, they were two, two guitar players strumming acoustic guitars. So when it came to making uh, a single, they had to have session men or they had to have somebody to play you know, lead guitar, drummer, bass player and stuff. So being friends, they asked us if, if, oh, well, you know, come on the road with us. Why don't you come on the road with us? And first of all, though, it was, they asked to play on the single. They played this song to us that Brian Parker and Tommy Moller had written hmm. from the band. And uh, it was amazing. I thought this song was absolutely amazing, Concrete and Clay. They played this tune in the pub. They were rehearsing in the, the hall behind the pub. On a Friday night, when we went up to see them, and they said, listen to this this tune, Russ, what do you think of it? And uh, I said, it was amazing. I just love that tune. You know, the management said, will you play on it? Will you play guitar? And Bob played drums on it. And we did that session. Hmm. It had a lot of life to it. I mean, it was a very, very, it's a rough old sound, actually. But I think the performance was so good from the band. I mean, I was, I was playing lead on it, but I was still struggling right the way through to find out where the chords were moving to, you know. I was trying to play lead. Mm. I'm trying to play this Spanish. And doing that kind of stuff. Then doing the guitar solo, not even, you know, remembering where the chords were changing. But it was, it was fun to do. In fact, the management, when it became number one, the management gave us, Bob and myself, 200 pounds each as session money because they initially gave us seven. Bob said they gave us seven pounds. They actually gave us 200, and that was a fortune at the time. Gosh. Yeah, because they wanted us to do the next one. We did the next one. I was playing the piano on the next one. The next one was just the wrong kind of song. The next one they brought out as a single. But um, there were a few others they could have done which had the same feel. But you know, you live and you learn, Jason. As roses in the morning, and you to me are soft as summer rain at dawn. In lovely shade, that's something rare. The sidewalks in the street, the concrete and the clay beneath my feet begins to crumble. But love will never die because we'll see the mountains tumble before we say goodbye. My love and I. Purple shades of evening And on the ground Shadows fall And once again you're in my arms So tenderly The sidewalks in the street The concrete and the clay Beneath my feet Begins to crumble But love will never die Because we'll see the mountains crumble Before we say goodbye My love and I 
street The concrete and the clay beneath my feet begins to crumble But love will never die Because we'll see the mountains stumble Before we say goodbye My love and I will be in love eternally That's the way That's the way it's meant to be That's the way By the late 60s, you were touring the, with them and Chris and Rod got in touch and then you joined uh, the end of the zombies that, that morphed into Argent. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I was very surprised because we played on a Saturday night in Essex. It was a nice gig. We were doing two sessions. And after we finished the first session, we went into the uh, dressing room. And Rod, Argent and Chris White walked in, you know, <laughs> And we knew them because they came from, the zombies came from St. Albans. We are a Hartfordshire band, you know, so we used to see a lot of them. But we also did Ready Steady Go with them. We did a few TVs with them, actually, and shared dressing rooms with them. And we ended up playing football on Thursday nights, you know, in, in the summer with the zombies. We used to turn up, Colin and Rod used to turn up anyway. So we were very friendly with them anyway. But um, you know, I said, what are you doing here? out in Essex, and they said, oh, we were just passing, and we thought we'd pop in. We saw we saw Unit 4 Plus 2, we thought we'd pop in. But they'd actually came came to audition us, I think. <laughs> oh, dear, it's funny. It was on the Monday, that was a Saturday night, on the Monday, get a phone call from Rod saying, you know, I'm forming this, forming this new band, forming a new band, and uh, do you want to be in it? And I always liked his writing. I thought he was a great musician. He was a fabulous keyboard player and very good writer. So uh, I said, yeah, absolutely. Bob was in it as well. So that was good. Argent, a band with such a great range of songwriters to, to go in there. Chris White, who was contributing, Rod. But yeah, I think you wrote the the first single for the for the band, Liar. Yeah, but they released that as the first single. And it's a very sort of left field thing because it was like a, a, a blues we did it as a blues, you know, very much like a foot tapping, foot tapping blues did have a bass on it, but there were no drums. And it was just in the chorus that the uh, cymbal came in and stuff. So it was a bit left field, but the zombies always recorded left field stuff, funnily enough. They had hits with the left field things, if you think about time of the season and stuff. Yeah. Anyway, Schoolgirl, another tune that I wrote, was on the, they put on the other side. So that was it. Had it been a hit, that would have been very good for me. <laughs> but, but, but luckily, Three Dog Night did it, and they had a huge hit with it. Yeah, that was good. And they did another one around from the next album. I wrote a song called Chained, which was like a gospel kind of thing, and they recorded that for the next album as well, which was brilliant. Say, ain't that what you say? Ain't that 
And next up, I want to play uh, Barry Ryan's version of Can't Let You Go. At this time, for some of those tracks that you didn't record yourself, was it a case of recording publishing demos and getting them out there? Is that how it worked at the time? Yeah, yeah, that's how it happened. You know, you sort of, if you got a publishing deal, so you had to work to sort of like, you know, if you got an advance from a publisher, which I started to get, obviously, with the first tune I wrote, The Shadows had that, Mm. so you did a 50-50 deal. But once you get known as a guy, uh, somebody that can write sort of songs that sell, you know, basically you can change the percentage that you get, or you can go to another publisher and they will give you an advance. Something I never had, you know, suddenly get sort of mm. a four-figure advance. It was magic, you know. You get, start getting advances. Yeah, and then you start doing that. Then you have to write in the contract, it will say something. If you get a very good advance, they would say you've got to write 20 songs a year or you've got to write 30 songs a year. Now, I could write that. I could write 20 or 30 songs a year, but I always wanted to demo them, and I didn't want to demo them on a, just a guitar voice or a piano voice, because everybody did that. I mean, I was going to the studio mm. and doing 24-track demos. I was the only one, I think, doing 24-track demos, but it was working, because I, when I signed to Ireland Music, I stipulated that if I went into the studio to do the demos and they said, yeah, that's fine. I wanted them to also pay yeah. for the, the higher you know, instruments that I needed, like an amplifier. If I needed a less pool, they'd furnish me with a less pool set of drums sometimes if I'm playing them or I get a set of drums and Bob will come and play on it. Or keyboards, you know, like Selena string machines and things like that. I even had vibes in there, vibraphone. I was trying yeah. to do a Tamla kind of thing, and they often use vibes. So I actually set, I had to set vibes up. I was always using different kind of instruments, you know, so I was sort of always experimenting with different instruments. But uh, I was always trying to do soul songs as well, and they ended up sounding rock and roll. You know? But uh, <laughs> I was always trying to do, you know, even since you've been gone, I was trying to do a soul song, you know. I was really trying to do, uh, you know, something like a Tamla thing. But uh, once I put, overdriven guitar on it. It always came out sounded like a sort of big rock thing, you know.
there's a bit of a, a soulful edge to I Don't Believe in Miracles, which Colin Blunstone's yeah. voice is and really brought out. Yeah, I mean, he's got, he's got lovely sound, isn't he? <laughs> sound is great, yeah. Yeah, well, I wrote that. I was writing tunes. I was always writing for myself, Jason, actually. I was, I was never really writing for anybody. I didn't yeah. even think about Colin. I think, because I was in Argent then, this was 1970 or 71, and uh, I was writing tunes. Yeah. Do you know, I wrote that from the heart, I don't believe in miracles, and at the end, after I finished writing it, I put my head on the keys and cried. Because, uh. I, you know, it, it was a strange time in my life, and um, I was singing about my life, basically, but um, when I finished it, I thought, I can't give it to Arjun because it's too soft, you know? It's... It's it's a real ballad, but played it to Rod, played it to the boys, you know, and they went, oh, that's great, that's really good, you know. And Rod and Chris had a publishing deal to produce artists for CBS. And so Rod said, oh, we could do that with Colin. I played it to Colin, let's play it to Colin. And Colin said, yeah, I'd love to do that. So uh, it ended up with, I played piano on I don't believe, his version of Miracles, and we ended up, that was Arjun, actually, backing, backing Colin. And uh, Jim played bass. I don't think Rod played. He sang on that, unless he did some other stuff. I don't remember Rod playing on that. Mm. But we did the backing vocals. Jim, Jim, Rod, and myself did all the oohs and the ahs and yaba, all those <laughs> things. You know, we did all that. We did all that stuff in the background. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's still a lot of people love that song. But I think maybe it's because it came from the heart. Yeah. You know, my mum and dad weren't. You know, my mum and dad were both ill at the same time with different problems, and then. Um, that was a long story, and it got worse, actually. Mm. Yeah, so that's, it was from the heart. But I don't believe in it. 
and it was such a prolific period for you as a, a songwriter at the time because God gave rock and roll to you. That was a song that you'd written and I think maybe even recorded in 71, but it, it took, took a few years to, to finally get its deserved release. Uh, I, don't, I, wrote, I don't believe the miracles going into a, a, a downer, you sort of a, a downtime, you know, sort of what now they, they were called bipolar depression or whatever. Like, it was one of those sort of things. Yeah. And I wrote God Gave coming out of that. Funnily enough, God gave rock and roll to you. And, you know, once you've been, I would say to anyone that's been depressed, had a depression or whatever, you know, you're going to get through it. Because it never happened to me before, and it's only happened to me once when, you know, years later it happened for just a period of a couple of months. Mm. You know, you stay there, you get through it, and it's like the sky is bluer. Yeah. You know, the grass is greener. And it's like being reborn, you know. So when people say I've been reborn, I, well, I, I, you know, you often hear people say I, God has touched me or something like that. They say those, those kind of things, you know. Well, it does happen, you know. It does happen. You suddenly, uh, it's like being reborn. Everything, I never thought I'd get back. In fact, you feel better because, you know, you don't expect to survive. You come out the other end. People that have depression do get through it and you've got to hang in there. You've got to hang in. And I say to people, you know, if I can help anyone that's suffering with depression, you know, I'll always have a chat because I know what it's like. It's not easy, you know, and I I would say, uh, hang in because you're going to get through. My mum was always saying so-and-so. My mum could quote anything from the Bible. I was never like religious like my mum, but my mum could quote anything. She'd say, oh, God gave you that, or God God did this, or God does that. You know, I go, yes, mum, yes, mum, you know. And uh, I thought, I thought that was probably something my mum would have said, you know, God gave rock and roll to you. You know, you come out of it, well, at least, you know, because it's never too late till like nine to five. Hmm. Uh, and if you're young, you'll never be old, you see. Music can make your dreams unfold, Jason. Hmm. How good it feels to be alive, you know. It's a good life. It's a great life. And I say yes to it. I'd, I'd do it all again. Not in exactly the same way, but I would do it again. It's a great life.
an artist that you're very connected with and played with, wrote songs for quite a number of years is, is Roger Daltrey. And one of the songs that I've chosen, Come and Get Your Love, which is from his Ride a Rock Horse album. How did you get involved with uh, working with uh, Roger? Roger came about 73. Roger's, that was 75 when I did that. I'm 73 because Adam Faith was still a very good friend. Uh, right. Adam Faith phoned me and said he was being a bit of an entrepreneur then a manager, you know, and he got involved with a, a guy, his friend was called Dave Courtney, David Courtney. Yeah. He was a drummer, actually. When the roulettes left him, uh, Dave was playing drums for him. Dave found this, he found this singer, I think his name was Jerry, Jerry Say, and then he said, Dave's found this guy. He said, he's a great singer. He's really, really good. And, uh, you know, we play guitar on it. And, uh, and, and Bob played drums on it. And we recorded it at Roger's because Roger lived in Sussex, pretty close, pretty close to Adam Faith, where Adam Faith and Dave Courtney were living up that way. So Roger said, oh, yeah, use my studio, you know. So we went into uh, his barn. We had a little eight-track studio to do the uh, tracking. Uh, it, was yeah. good. it was a good banging, clangy sound. It was brilliant. So we did Leo's album there, and we did, I would say, we did 12 songs, something like that, maybe more. Yeah, uh, one of them was The Show Must Go On. Yeah. And when Dave played played us this song, he just played on the piano, you know, baby! Just play ding 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 ding, and I said, I said this would this would be good. <laughs> I said this would be good uh, with a banjo. I said, have you got a banjo, Roger? He went, no, no. But I got one of the kicking donkey. <laughs> it's down the road, the kicking the kicking donkey. <laughs> so I jumped, I jumped in the car with Roger, and we went down there. And uh, they got they got a banjo on the wall behind the bar. And so he, he said, George, can we use your banjo? And he said, yeah. And he took it off the wall. I gave us his banjo. I don't think it had, had uh, new strings for like 50 years. You know, it was one of those mm. sort of things. But uh, I went ding, jiggy, ding, jiggy, ding. It just had the right feel for George Formby, you know. And we did that. We put that down. That had a lot of life. It, Bob's drumming was really good in that. It was really clanging, banging. Load, and Leo was very good on it. Um, so we did all these songs written by, written by Dave and Leo. And Roger kept popping in. And he said, I love these songs. These songs are really good. You know, uh, uh, um, if I actually stand around, you know, for another few days and, uh, you know, doing some more songs, you know, uh, with us. So we all stayed there, basically. We all stayed there and wrote, Leo and Dave wrote another load of tunes. And we, uh, that was Roger's album, Giving It All Away and all that. We played on that. I played a sort of lead guitar on that, on Giving It All Away. I played acoustic on it as well, actually. There's some good songs on that as well, actually. Yeah. And then uh, two years later, uh, I saw Roger. Roger said, um, you fancy producing an album with me or doing an album for me or whatever. But, you know, I said, yeah. So that was 75. That's when I did Ride a Rock Horse. He wasn't around for most of it because he went away. It, so that took six months to record because uh, I was doing the first track. He said, I'm going away next week. I said, where are you going? He said, I'm going on holiday. I'm going to the Caribbean for six weeks. I said, he said, he said, put down, just put down loads of tracks. Just put down whatever you like, sort of thing. And I said, uh, and I knew the songs he wanted to do. He wanted to do Walking the Dog. He wanted to do another, particular tunes. I said, I, I won't know what's, what keys you're singing in, Rog. And he went, I'm going to sing in any key. <laughs> 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 Which is true. So uh, I, I just 
was putting down songs sort of thing you know i played i played three tunes to him on the piano i played uh near to surrender a sort of gospel tune and yeah. played uh proud a song called proud that we used to do with argent fun enough on the first argent tour of america we never recorded it so i put all these tunes down and he came came back from a holiday and and then i went to new york to have it mastered, and that's when I wrote, I, I, I wrote down New York Groove on that plane going to master Rogers, wow. Rogers' album at Sterling Sound, and I wrote down New York, I'm back in the New York Groove, I thought that's a, that's a good title for a song, <laughs> and then I recorded it when I came back, fun enough, yeah.
I want to play your version of winning. Santana got a big hit with that. Yeah, yeah. He had a he had a different guitar sound, and it was cleaner, wasn't it? Much cleaner. Yeah. In fact, I think my sound was more overdriven than his, which was unusual because he he he's ended up with a very overdriven sound, which it's got a very identifiable sound, isn't he? Yeah. He did two of mine actually. He did another one for the next album as well. Yeah, I mean that was written for me. Obviously, it was on my on my winning album. The album was called Winning at that time. I was sing, basically singing about my life. It wasn't exactly as my life went, but it was pretty similar as as my life had been, you know, up and down. Now I'm winning. That was the idea of it. It's funny. That was that was pretty. Santana did that one from that album, on the winning album, and then Roger did Just a Dream Away. He used that in the McVicker film. And the Bay City Rollers, Bay City yeah. Rollers covered Are You Cuckoo, a song that I wrote on the album. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, so, so, I mean, I was getting quite a few covers. There was another cover. I can't remember which one it was. Yeah, I mean, it was very fruitful, you know. But it, it's not always easy, though, to... Uh, you have to work hard to be consistent and to have continuity if you're, you know, if you're, if you're trying to write for a publisher mm. because you know you can't you can't just wait for inspiration you have to sit at the piano i usually play piano yeah. you have to sit there at your instrument and play and play and play every day i mean i always treated it like not like a job because i love doing it but i'd go in every day i still do i'm still going every day and i work for six seven hours a day every day saturdays and sundays unless unless the kids are playing football and then uh, i go and watch football but um, I still love it the same as ever. So, yeah, it's better work. One day I was on the ground When I needed a hand Then it couldn't be found I was so far down That I couldn't get up You know one day I was one of life's losers I was living in style when the walls fell in And when I played my hand I looked like a joker Turn around Fate must have woke her Cause Lady Luck She was waiting outside the door
earlier you mentioned trying to write a, a soul song and you certainly did it with So You Win Again which Hot Chocolate did a, a great version of and was that for a connection with Mickey Most? Yeah, well Mickey had asked me before to write some songs and didn't write it, so I wrote that for me because I'm still contracted oh. I, I wrote that for me <laughs> oh yeah, I, I thought I, I thought that was a big hit I thought yeah. even my demo my demo sounded, it was more up-tempo I did a demo about Livingston Studios over at Barnet, and I had I used to go in with three songs. I'd always go in with three. I'd write three songs that I liked, and then I used to go in and record. And um, at that time, 1976, 77, the soul thing was really, really big. Blue-eyed soul and stuff was really big. I mean, there was Boss Gags out there. There was Robert Palmer, the Hall of Notes. They were all having, you know, there was quite a few blue-eyed soul. And I thought, well, I could do that. You know, my, I could sort of like, do that kind of stuff because I was contracted the CBS once I left Argent and I took that song my demo to the guy that was heading CBS at the time and played them and said I think I've got a hit here what do you think and he went yeah it's great but it's not for you it's for a black band that's a black band for a black band but he was actually right <laughs> it was for a black band and um, well it's for Errol anyway and uh, well Mickey heard it and recorded it straight away and it was out in three weeks I think
Not a lot of artists have a hit with one of your songs, and then they, then they, then they go to record another. And Rainbow is is one case. I know, know that we'll be playing since you've been gone to close the show. But um, had you written "I Surrender" after they'd had a hit with "Since You've Been Gone"? No, I, I I already had the tune. I had the song, and I I think I didn't. Right. I sort of produced the demo because it, it was a write a writing. But I mean, again, I wrote it for me. I wrote the tune for me because it's the kind of thing I like to do. It was melodic and it had, it had some excitement to it and stuff. And it was really saying, I was going against, you know, never surrender, basically. But there's a time and I think it's good to surrender. Let it go. Mm. You know, just let it go. So it wasn't, it wasn't a rock and roll sort of uh, an obvious rock and roll lyric. saying I surrender, please be tender and that kind of stuff. But again... I did it from my heart and all that. But John mm. Verity sang on it. I played drums on it. Jim Jim Rothford played bass on it. Mm. I sat in the uh, control room. I didn't play anything on that. I didn't uh, on the demo. Mm. And the next thing I hear, Rainbow are do- doing it for a single. Oh yeah, that changed. It was a bigger hit than since you've been gone. Yeah. And it got to number three. I thought it was going to get to number one, but it got to number three. 
And next we have America, no. and you can do magic. Um, was this a period where you'd, you'd gotten into a bit more of the production sound? Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I mean, sometimes they sound very different from my demos. I mean, like So You and Again, it's quite different. Hmm. The Rainbow was, was pretty similar to the one that we did. Hmm. Uh, with America, it's, I was asked to produce, write and produce something for them. I was asked to produce, it was Rupert Perry, who was then head of A&R in L.A., got in touch and said, would you write and produce a couple of songs for America? And they hadn't had a hit for nearly seven years. Mm. I loved Horse With No Name, you know? I just loved it. Yeah. Actually, they paid mm. me to do the demos. Basically, I was trying to do so much of the, you know, and they said, we'll pay you to do it. And they paid us to actually do my song, obviously, but then they paid me to actually produce it as well, which was very nice of them. But, um, I loved Horse With No Name, and I thought the one thing it had was it was hypnotic, you know? Mm. And it had that real, that kind of hypnotic. And I thought, that's the only one, that was the first big hit, and it was the only hypnotic song they ever did that was very, very obviously hypnotic. So I thought, if you could go back to that and do something, that was very America. So I wrote that song, you know down well, if you cast your spell, you will get your way. So it's, mm. that was my idea to make something that was very hypnotic. And um, yeah, I went into Abbey Road. I listened to a lot of their albums. Yeah. George Martin had done all their, their, their like the previous five, I think, mm. albums. Uh, and listened to them. They were very, they were very, very basic. They were very, very basic way of recording. I went into Abbey Road and. Um, hired a lot of equipment, hired a, a good acoustic Martin. I hired uh, some some gear and uh, I played everything on the demo, uh, on, on their version. I played wow. I played Fender Rhodes, I played the electric guitar. I played, I used the, I didn't use a drummer, I used the old drum machine. What was the original drum, what was that drum machine? I've got rid of mine, it was a long time, it was 1980, I think it was a long time ago. Like a Lynn. So It was a Lynn drum. Yeah, it was a Lindrum. Yeah. So I just probably do, 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 you know, strum the guitar, played the bass, played the um, Fender Rhodes. Then the, just brought the boys in, just brought Jerry and Dewey in to sing the tunes, basically. Yeah, and it was a hit. It, it got to number one, actually, in the uh, in America, in the uh, A&R, uh, what was it, the, the soft chart. Got to number one in that chart. <laughs> yeah, that was good. I mean, it got it, it was top ten. It was top ten in the pop chart. Yeah, which was yeah. really good. Yeah. So um, I did those two. I did another one called um, Jody on the other side. Uh, that was on the album, and um, then they asked me to do the next album. So I, you know, brought them in, and they had no songs. They had one song. Wow. They had <laughs> one. They had one. They had one song, and it was called My Dear, which I think Jerry had written. So Dewey and I did this one song together. We did uh, The Boulder, which was kind of very L.A. sounding, L.A. kind of sounding. We put the LSO rings on it. It wasn't such a good sound as, as uh, You Can Do Magic. It wasn't, I could have, but I, I had 12 songs on that. I, I think they recorded 12 songs. I had 11 songs on the album, on that next album. 11 songs. I had, because they had no songs, you know, and I had all these tunes that I'd, I'd done in, they did it, I Don't Believe in Miracles as well. We put that on there. Yeah, I, I mean, it was very LA sounding, but I enjoyed doing it, you know. I, was, I played most stuff on that. I played the bass and whatever, I'm, I, same as I did on uh, 
you can do magic. in a, a similar time Frida recorded I Know There's Something Going On but a, a real sort of tough drum driven track as opposed to America which is a bit sort of lighter yeah well you see my demo of I Know There's Something Going On 
it's really sounded good. That was written for me as well. Yeah. That started at the end of the session. At the end of, I was a, I was at Livingston, and I had my Lindrum, and it was plugged. It was directly plugged in, and I was in the control room, and it was just when these digital reverbs were coming out and they had the gated reverb as one of the programs and it was so exciting and sometimes even a lindrum would sound really exciting if you put uh, the gated reverb it would hit it would the, sig- the signal would hit the reverb and it would go it sounded really really exciting and i had uh, my little holy fender and i was with which i was playing and i said nick kinsey had the studio and i said just just record this a little bit will you nick and i i'd say Ding, 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 and with the drum. <laughs> doing that, you know, it sounded really exciting. And I took that home, just that little bit, and came back the next day. I wrote some words and uh, came back next day and recorded it. Publisher, my publisher sent it to, uh, to Frida and to Phil. Well, Phil was in Sweden, I think. It was a polar making that making the Frieda album. Mm, mm. And uh, yeah, and she did it, which was great. And then Anietta, Anietta did another one. Of my, she did uh, two of mine with Mike Chapman. And I thought, I thought she did a good, a good job as well.
we've talked about hits uh, that other other artists have had with your own tracks, but um, even as we get into the mid-80s, quite a, a notable hit of yours is Voices, and I think that was propelled into the US charts by being on Miami Vice. Yeah, well, Miami Vice, that was the big show at the time, wasn't it? That was very popular. So the director liked two songs on my album at the time. One was Voices, and the other one was into the night, which Ace Freely did as well. Funnily enough, he did that. He did that as a single, and uh, they were both used on Miami Vice. I went out there and, <laughs> and made a video. I was Tom Cruise for a week. <laughs> uh, yeah, give or take twenty years. But it was good. It's good fun. If you can't have fun doing music, you shouldn't be doing it, should you? Really, <laughs> really. <laughs>
it's been so good to talk to you and a real great way to end the show with your new version of Since You've Been Gone from your latest album It's Good To Be Here but this time you've recorded it as in a more ballad format that really brings out the strength of the lyrics um, was that the reason for kind of shifting the, the, the style of that song? Well I always thought and I think that if the basic track is a rock track and stuff, you don't really listen to the lyric. You can't always get the lyric or you don't focus on the lyric as much as hearing something acoustic. You know, when you, you know, listen to Dylan on his early albums, you couldn't help but listen to the lyric because it was guitar and, and uh, basically a, a super vampire, wasn't it really? You know, that's all he ever used. And so you listen to the lyric. Mm. I thought, you know, BMG suggested that I do, I do some of my old songs in a different way. And I thought, if I'm going to do Since You've Been Gone, I'd already, I'd re, I've recorded it first anyway. I did, I did mm. Since You've Been Gone on my winning album. So that was the other one I was trying to think about. That was the other, the other hit that was uh, recorded. I mean, that was a hit by Head East as well. It was in the American charts three times by three different artists. Sherry and Mary Curry recorded it in the, about the 70s in the billboard and head east had the first hit with it head east got to about 38 or something round about in billboard and then rainbow did it hmm. i had recorded it first in 1975 this was four three years later you know they they all recorded it but i thought it'd be nice to do it as a ballad hmm. so i did it kind of like cellos basically cellos and uh basically somebody's gone you know and you're hmm. singing like since you've been gone, this is how I feel. And you can really do it in the ballad. This is how I'm feeling. I feel pretty bad, you know. And you can actually put a lot of uh, heartfelt emotion into it. Um, but uh, it's nice to do it in a different way. And um, you can do songs in so many different ways, actually, you know. But uh, it's been great chatting to you, Jason. I've enjoyed it. It's, it's a complete pleasure. And I guess, uh, finally, I assume people need to go over to rustballardmusic.com to find out further details of how to, to get the new book and vinyl and CD set? Oh, yeah. I have Facebook, Russ Ballard Facebook. But also, my friend, uh, that's Carol Williams, does it. Sue Robinson runs a newsletter, so I have a newsletter every month. So if you want to get onto Russ Ballard News, it, there's so much stuff in it every month. You know, I'm like, I, when I start to rub it, I just rub it and rub it. So, uh, I mean, I write like that as well. <laughs> so, um, you know, if something takes my fancy, I just... I just go into one. <laughs> so every month, if you want to get uh, see what uh, not not what I'm doing, but all my mates are doing as well. So, um, yeah, and I've got a thing that mm. Ian Street and Sven Kramer have arranged. It's called Voices of Russ Ballard. All these things um, are cropping up now, and um, seems that my mates are getting into uh, talking on those things as well, which is brilliant. You know, my friends from the Roulettes mod, Pete and Bob. You know, we're all getting on there. We're doing, we're going to do Zoom, Zoom calls and stuff on there. So, uh, if fancy it, that's going to, that's fun. Wow, brilliant! Lots going on. Well, um, let's play since you've been yeah, gone. Yeah. And thank you so much for your time. It is hugely Thanks, appreciated. Jason. Bye. I get the same old dreams, same time every night. Fall to the ground and I wake up So I get out of bed Put on my shoes and in my head Thoughts go back to the breakup 
For listening to the Strange Brew podcast. 
you do like the show, please consider a small donation to help keep the show archive online. It's 10 years since I started the podcast and hosting fees are increasing over time. All your support keeps the show running and helps me get amazing guests. To support me, just go to thestrangebrew.co.uk where you'll see a donate button on the homepage. Thank you very much. Plus, any reviews on your podcast services help to spread the word too. Thank you.